0: A mindset. That's what we're talking about. A mindset. What is a mindset? It's a mentality. It's, a, it's a, an attitude. And what, I'm, what I started out by saying is that the gospel gives us a new mindset. It transforms our mindset. It transforms our mentality. It gives us a new attitude. J.R. Packer refers to mindset as a habitual orientation. So it's, it's the way in which I habitually orient and, and think about life as a result of this attitude that I have. Another way of saying it, it's an entrenched desire. An entrenched desire. That's what a mindset is. It's this. This is my entrenched desire and the way in which I view things. Christian generosity is a mindset. It aims at pleasing and glorifying God in all things, never settling for second best, ne- never settling for okay. Always having that ent- an entrenched desire, a habitual orientation to bringing God. Glory in everything I say, and everything I think, and everything I do. Paul, yesterday in the men's Bible study, we talked about Colossians three seventeen, where Paul said, "Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus. Do everything for Jesus." That's the mindset. That's a gospel mindset. That's a gospel transformed attitude. So that's what Christian generosity aims at. It's this this joy that we find in making pleasing God and hearing him say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the aim of my life. That's what I want to hear him say. And so I want to fight the temptation to ever settle for anything less than that. That's what Christian generosity is. You know, Jesus told a lot of stories and parables. Uh, You remember one of them was the parable of the talents. I'm not going to dive all the way down into that parable, but I'm going to use it as an illustration to pull out a part of it that's important. What I should say, though, is because people don't necessarily understand this, a talent was, was the currency of the day. It was, it was money. We think of talents as our gifts, and as we should, and it could be applied when we think about our talents and our gifts, but it, was a, it, was, it had to do with money. It was a story about money management applied to talent management and gift management. But it was, a t- it was about money management. And in the story, Jesus t- tells that there's talents given to, to different people. One person gets ten. One person gets five, I think. And then the last person gets one. And I want to focus on the last person because Jesus focused on the last person when he was telling this story. In the story, the person that was given, the, the other two, invested their money and got a return for the master. But the last person gets one, doesn't invest it. Doesn't do anything. Didn't do anything useful with it. Hoarded it. And then when his master returns, looking for his return on investment, his ROI, the guy gives it back to him. The words Jesus uses (laughs) to describe the activity of this last money manager are in your face startling. Wicked. Slothful. And worthless. Evil, lazy, and useless. I don't like those words. (laughs) It's the antithesis of generosity. It's the exact opposite of generosity. It's the opposite of this big-hearted mindset. Friends, we must never settle for fairly good. Okay, average, possibly good enough. Well, not bad. We must run after, chase down a big-hearted mindset with God's money. We should make our attitude towards stewarding God's money an entrenched desire to do the best we can with what we have. It's quiet in here. I know, I know this can be uncomfortable. Man, and I get it. And we're going to talk about why that might be here in a few minutes. This is the main point of the sermon. Christian generosity is a big-hearted mindset with God's money. Now, that little clause, with God's money, is a real important one. We're going to get to that in a second. Christian generosity is a big-hearted mindset with God's money that includes, it's a mindset that's made up of three things. The first one, motivation. Okay? Christian generosity, big-hearted mindset with God's money that includes motivation. So the question we're asking here is, what motivates Christian generosity? What would motivate me to live with big, in a big-hearted, generous way? What, what, what would drive that? What would make that happen? And there's two things going on here that, that, that power and source Our motives as it relates to this mindset. But I I just want to begin with the first one saying that it's there's there's two parts to motivation, but the first part is it's grace. What provides motivation to be generous is God's generosity. That's the, that's the, if you miss that, you miss the whole, if you only hone in on what I'm going to say in application and you miss this, you won't have the engine. You won't have the power to do what God has called us to do. You'll never be generous if you're not motivated by the generosity of God. And the generosity of God is expressed in grace. It's how he's treated you despite what you deserve. That's what propels us. That's what motivates us. Is his generosity to us. He said it this way. Verse 9 in chapter 8, Paul said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? Look at how Paul, look at the illustration he uses. It's It's so vivid. That though he was rich, so get that in your mind, Jesus rich. Yet for your sake, he became poor. So that you by his poverty, might become what? Rich. I mean, that's your motivation. (laughs) It said Jesus was rich, emptied himself. You were poor in poverty, in spiritual poverty, and you become rich. How? At the expense of his poverty. That he takes your place. That's, that's, the, that's the, 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 the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ. This is what motivates. We can't underline that in, in the letter. Underline that verse, Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 8, 9, because there's your motivation. There's the power for being Generous. Now, I also want to say that Christian generosity is a gift, so it's motivated by grace, but it's also, one of its motives is that it's a gift to us. I said that last week, that, that being uh, generous, we should be humbled that God actually gives us this responsibility, though we should be sobered as well, that, that, that we're going to be held accountable, but it's an honor. It's a gift that God gives us to participate in being the way that He is. That's what godliness is. It's increasingly becoming godly, God like. So God is generous, and He invites you to become generous like, like He is. It's a spiritual gift. Now, this raises so many questions. Let me just plow through this and give you the best I can. Paul uses two nouns in the Scripture to, regularly to talk about spiritual gifts. One word that he uses for gift in the Greek is charisma. It's where we understand, like when you say someone's got charisma, you're, you're speaking about they're gifted in a certain way. When we talk about uh, charismatic. Churches are a charismatic believer. It's someone who's, who's very interested in, in what God uh, is doing in the church today related to the Spirit's move and the active, the active participation of the Spirit and the gifts in the church today. So in that way, Brandywine Grace is charismatic. We want to see God and the Spirit and the gifts at work today in the church. I'm going to slip that one in. The root word for charisma is the word charis, which actually translates grace. So charisma, whatever this charisma is, this gift, you might say it's a grace gift. It's given to you. God made you the way you are and God has empowered you the way that you are. And he's given specific uh, gifts, charisma to you. But it's a gift. It's not something we can brag about. (laughs) We didn't earn it. He just gave it. That's one of the words that he uses. He often, when he talks about gifts, he talks about charisma. The other word that he uses is a big one. Pneumaticon. Pneuma. P-N-E-U-M-A is where you get the word like pneumatic. Where's my mechanics in here? You know what a pneumatic drill is. I know some people know what that is. An air gun. (laughs) So when you go to the mechanic and they pull the the lug nuts off your tire, they're using a pneumatic gun. It's It's compressed air is where the power comes from. Pneuma refers... To the, to the spirit. It's like air, but it comes from the, the word for the Holy Spirit, which is, I'm butchering these things up, but you don't know Greek anyway, so it doesn't matter. Hagion, he, except for J. Ross and a few others, and Dave Brown. Hagion Pneuma. Hagion Pneuma refers to the Holy Spirit. And what it means, so what Paul's getting at when he uses that is he's, he means it's an expression of life. An energy that comes from the person of the spirit. Activating these gifts in us. A spiritual gift, a grace gift, always does this. It always, it's, its intent is to honor Jesus. It's, it's, its intent is to honor Jesus and then edify those around us. Edify, what's that mean? Have an improving effect. (laughs) When you come into a room, if you go to Bible study, if you show up at missional community, your intent is to have an improving effect upon others, not a destructive effect on others. You want to edify, right? So a grace gift does that. It honors Jesus. It has this edifying effect, and it ends up strengthening the church. That's what spiritual gifts do. Now, Track with me here. I'm teaching. Some spiritual gifts transcend natural resources. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that God gives some gifts, when someone gets saved, that are so supernatural, they're not like the way that he made you. It's like all of a sudden you've got this supernatural gift, and they're in the Bible. Gifts of healing would be in this category. Miracles. We see that in the scripture. Not only Jesus performed healings in the scripture. That would be an example of a a gift that kind of transcends natural abilities and natural resources. But there are some spiritual gifts or abilities that are naturally natural abilities that are empowered, redirected and energized by the work of the spirit. This makes sense to you, right? I always get this question. Well, what's a spiritual gift? Is a spiritual gift only for spiritual things? Like like is it possible that you could be really good at teaching and not be a Christian? Yes. <laughs> but what happens when you become a Christian? God takes that gift of teaching that he gave to you when he made you, and then he activates it with his spirit. He energizes it, and he uses it. Does that make sense? He's taken these natural gifts. And people have gifts in different measure, right? Just like here. There's some people in this room that are terrible at riding a bike, but they're able to do it, you know, but they're all over. Then there's some people that are just, like, really good at riding a bike, how is that? There's some people that are really good at sports. Some people that are not really good at sports. There's some people that are really good at singing like Morgan. And, and some people that are like, we can still sing, but we're not that good. <laughs> we have the gift maybe, depending on how you define it. I can sing, but I can't sing like that. So should I shut up? No. 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 Generosity is a gift of this type. It's a spiritual gift, but no one can say, you know what, I don't have the gift of generosity. I got the gift of selfishness. Like that, like God just poured it out on me. Like I'm just, I'm just selfish to the core. No, friend, the gospel has changed you. And you can't be selfish to the core anymore. Now you got to start living like Jesus did because of all that he's done for you, motivated by his grace, you got to start becoming more selfless like your Savior who came not to be served but to give his life as a ransom for many. See, see, so no one can say, well, generosity, I haven't been given that gift. No, we've all been naturally wired to give. Everybody loves Christmas. doesn't matter. What your religious view is. Uh, Don't make me unpack all of that. but, but, But you get it. My point is this. No one can say we don't have the grace gift of generosity. You got it. Somebody sitting next to you might have it in greater measure. But you got it. All right, in Romans 12, moving along. In Romans 12, Paul writes this. So same writer, but he's writing to a different church. Church that he was involved in planting. He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So he says, having gifts that differ according to what? The grace given to us. Some people might have been given a lot of grace in the area of generosity, but maybe a little less grace in the area of faith. But Paul's saying, having gifts that differ according to the grace given, let us use them. And then he mentions specific examples. He mentions prophesying. He mentions serving. He mentions teaching. He mentions leadership. But his emphasis is that every gift should be used according to the measure of grace given. In other words, every gift that's been given should be used in the best way possible. So whatever God has given you, he wants you to use it to the best of your ability. Not to the best of other people's ability, to the best of your ability. He works through this list and he comes to the one who contributes. He says, to the one who contributes should do so in generosity. The one who shares money, the one who shares what they have, with those who don't have, should do so according to the measure of grace that has been given to you. This is the point. Generosity, giving, sharing, using money to relieve needs is a spiritual gift that everybody has been given in some measure. The one who gives generously is just as charismatic as the one who speaks in tongues. That's Paul's point. The one who gives generously is just as charismatic as one who prays for healing. The problem with the Corinthian church is they started labeling things. If you got the gift of healing, you got like a special badge and you walked around with it. Oh, you just a giver. You just give generously. I'm one of those prophets. (laughs) No. That's why Paul was rebuking them in the first letter. So understanding this, oh boy. Understanding that that grace is a gift, generosity is a grace gift. Let me move quickly. Let me just touch this other point that I want to point to as well. It's One of the motivations is not just grace and that it's a gift, it's that it's a discipline. It's a duty. God has called us to this. Generosity is a discipline. So let me just, let me just make this point very quickly because I think it's what motivates us here. What motivates us is the fact that God is expecting us to act a certain way. But some might say, well, I'm not very good at generosity. You said that I have the gift for being generous or giving, but I'm not very good at it. So my question would be is how much are you practicing it? It's a discipline. If you want to get good at playing the violin, you've got to put some time in, right? If you want to get good at playing a sport or a particular position, you've got to get out there and practice. Same with, same with all gifts. If you want to get good at riding a bike, ride your bike. If you want to get good at generosity, you've got to practice it. So if you're not actively traveling the path of generosity, it will have to be said of us that we are weak and deficient disciples. Which means we need to change our ways. It's as, that's, it's as simple as that. That's what God is calling us to. So it doesn't matter what your goals are. Like I aim to be a generous person. I want to be a generous person. We might have to change our habits, our disciplines, our practices in order to become the, to become increasingly uh, good at using the gift of generosity and giving. Make sense? All right. I'm going to move on because I, I need to. I said that, that Christian generosity is a big-hearted mindset and it includes motivation. The other two points I want to make, I can make more quickly. But it, it's, a mind, so it's a mindset that includes our motivation and it also includes management. So a big-hearted mindset that includes motives. Motives sh- shape it. But then the response of those motivations that work in us result in something. It results in management and one other thing that I want to hit. Management. What exactly are we managing? When you're buying groceries, when you're filling your Amazon cart which seems to be a a regular pastime at the Lynch household, when you're purchasing a new car, when you're supporting missionaries like the Goans and the Hartzels, when you're making an investment for the future, when you're paying for your vacation, the first thing we need to get clear is that the money that is ours to manage is actually not ours. (laughs) Write that one down. What I'm, what I'm highlighting here is that everything we have comes from God. It's God's. Bart Simpson. He can be a helpful illustration. They must have done something. I was going to say right. I don't know. But Simpson's is like the longest running TV show in all of history. I never watched it that much. But I, I did see an episode where Bart was asked to say grace for the meal. Dear God, we paid for all this stuff ourselves. So thanks for nothing. Amen. <laughs> now, do you know Bart do you know Bart Simpson? Some of you are all like you're getting all shocked. Like, I hate that Bart Simpson. He's so blasphemous. That was the point. <laughs> the adult the adult around the table, <gasps> and then Mr. Burns says, only an innocent child could get away with such blasphemy. God bless them all, he says. The writers of the show know that they're making you uncomfortable. They, that was uncomfortably funny. That's what comedy always does. Comedy pierces through the veneer of politeness and says aloud what many people are actually thinking. What am I thanking God for this stuff for? I worked for it. I dare say that there's people that might not say it that way, but you think it. Now it's getting real uncomfortable. <laughs> this is the point I'm trying to make. Every good gift comes down from the Father of lights. Every good gift, everything that we have, we attribute to God. Everything. God has given to us to use money, but it remains his. We have it on loan. We're stewards, oftentimes we refer to that. And one day we will give a report to God on how we did with everything he loaned to us. That's that's the point. The world sees it differently, though. The world sees each person's money as their own possession to be used however we please. The Bible sees money as a trust from God to be used how God pleases. We're God's money managers, God's the owner. You know, when someone is hired to manage your finances or an investment manager, they don't just, they, they're supposed to listen to you and what your goals are and what you want to do. But if they say, oh, no, I'm just going to do whatever I want with your stuff. No, you're not. No, you're not because you're the owner. You're just entrusting it to them to, to, to invest it in a way that you get what you want with what you've entrusted to them. It's the same with, it's the same with God. So the question for us is what kind of, how well are we using what God has given to us? Are we accomplishing God's purposes? Are we accomplishing God's hopes? Are we accomplishing God's vision for what he's entrusted to us? What kind of report does God give us? Somebody, I heard H.B. Charles on this, Gabe sent it to me. It was so good. He's a pastor in Texas, right? Florida. Florida. He said, you know, he was talking about how some people, you know, churches, we just tend to avoid the topic of, of money. It's so uncomfortable. He said some churches avoid it. And some people avoid church because they think, and this is often the case, that the pastors just after their money. I can tell you that I'm not, but you might not believe me. If you're here, as a, you know, you're here, you just don't know. But as a result, many pastors and churches avoid the topic of money. They avoid preaching the Generosity Project series for four sermons. We haven't preached on this stuff in years. And their concern is understandable. And their motives may even be sincere. They may have been burnt by being part of the church where the pastor made off with all the money. But the strategy is misguided. You can't be a faithful Christian if you avoid the subject of money. You can't be a faith we can't be a faithful church if we avoid and never talk about the subject of money. Listen to this, guys. You know how many references there are to prayer? 600 you'll find. 500 references to faith. Do you know how many references there are in the Bible, to money? 2,350. So, does that mean that's more important than faith? No. Does it mean it's important? Must be. One out of every 10 verses in the Gospels is about riches, wealth, or material possessions. In fact, Jesus talked about financial stewardship more than he talked about heaven and hell combined. It's important application. There's no discipleship where there's no stewardship. We can say whatever we want, but there's no discipleship where there's no dis- stewardship. Your money management is an objective indicator of your true devotion to Jesus. In fact, your money management may be the only true, really true aspect of your Christian walk that you can't fake in front of others. You can fake holiness. You can fake worship. You can fake prayer. You can fake Bible knowledge. You can fake your concern for the lost. But you cannot fake your money management because your checkbook will tell on you. A writer could begin to form your life story from your bank statement. They could start to figure out what you're about by just looking at your bank statement. You can't fake it. (laughs) You know, whenever there's, uh, when the government or the police or a business is looking into fraud, where do they go? They go to the money trail, they go to the paper trail. Where'd the money go? Oh, no, 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 but I'm a good person. Witness, testimony, character, references, that, they, don't, they don't care about that. They just want to know where the money went. What happened to the money is all that matters. We should be sobered by this because we're going to give an account. Like We, we got, Jesus cares about how we handle these things, church. And we're in a great position to grow, I think, in this and to become the big-hearted people that that God has called us to be because He's entrusted us so much. We live in Downingtown. We live in Chester County, Pennsylvania. God's blessed most of us with so much. So... Uh, let me just close with finishing this last point. I've, I've said we're defining uh, Christian generosity as a, a big-hearted mindset, which includes motivations and includes manage- management, but it includes ministry. And I can just uh, make this point with just a couple sentences. When we talk about ministry, we're talking about service. We're talking about Meeting needs. That's what service is. It relieves a need. And when we talk about need, what we're talking about is someone lacking something that they need for basic life. That's what Paul's raising this money for to meet basic needs. He's saying it doesn't seem fair that that our Jewish brothers and sisters are going without during this famine, during this this horrible time that's left them in poverty, but God has entrusted something to us. And so, how can we minister to serve the needs of others? That should be the question. And, And what's amazing, and Paul calls it ministry for the saints. Now, it's superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, it's service to the saints. And then he talks about the Macedonian church who were amazing because they didn't give out of their abundance. They actually gave to the Jews in Jerusalem, the Christian Jews in Jerusalem. They gave out of their poverty. So they they didn't have a lot, and they still gave a lot. That's the end game of our generosity. It's ministry. It's meeting the needs of others. So let me end with this. How much should I give? I got everybody's attention now. How much should we give? Let me end by talking about tithing. Tithing is a practice of giving a tenth of your income to the Lord, and it's a principle that is practiced throughout most churches throughout history. It's a biblical principle drawn from the Old Testament. The New Testament nowhere tells you to tithe. I know that might be shocking to some of you, but it doesn't. It's an Old Testament principle. Paul doesn't mention the word tithe. He's taking up a major collection. It's at the heart of his letter. He never mentions tithing. Some of you are thinking, shh, shh. but it's it's not. It's not. Shh. In fact it actually hits a little harder. What the New Testament calls for over and over again is generosity. And actually, I've studied this. If you strictly want to apply Old Testament principles of tithing, it's not 10%. I hate to let you down. It's 23 and a third. And you can go do the study on this. Some people think that tithing is like paying God rent. Give him 10%, kind of get, him, get the landlord off my back, and then I can do whatever I want with the rest of my money. Paul doesn't tell the Corinthians to raise the collection through tithing, but he says if they give generously to God, he will give generously to them. He says it over and over again. Verse 6, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. He says in verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Do you see this? In verse 11, you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. In verse 13, he says, It comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. When it comes to Christian generosity, this is what I'll say about tithing. It seems like tithing or giving 10% is a good place to start. If you asked Paul, Paul, how much should we give? How much should I give? I don't think he'd answer 10%. I don't think he'd say tithe. He'd say this. This is what I'll paraphrase. Give all that you readily, easily, and comfortably can, and then prove your zeal and wholehearted devotion by giving a little more. <laughs> so this is, these are my thoughts on tithing. I agree with J.I. Packer on this. I think it may be a good idea to practice tithing as a crutch for your giving using that as a as a as a as a as a goal that you're trying to get to but not so that you can stop there because that wouldn't be generous so if you're not giving anything to God right now and you identify as a Christian you should start somewhere So say, this year I'm going to give 1%. And then next year, say, how can I do better? <laughs> giving randomly without wisdom, just like giving nothing, just like giving far less than we could is sub-Christian. That's what Paul's saying. And for many of us, a lack of generosity is simply due to a lack of thought. thought it's thoughtlessness. We're not giving thought to those things. Now, what I wanted to do was end with a, an example in history of Christian generosity, someone who lived with a big-hearted mindset. I'm going to save that story because I want you to, to be influenced by the, a modern-day example of Christian generosity. And, and we're going to call up. I want Steve and Debbie Herder to come up here on this stage with the guys Steve and Debbie launched Brandywine Grace with us 12 years ago, part of a smaller group that had a vision to see this church planted, and they have recently moved away, as many of you know, because they've served as missional community leaders for a long time. This couple, and they're uncomfortable with it, but they are a great example of what it means to use your resources that God has entrusted to you in ways that are generous, their time, their gifts, and their money as an expression of what God has done in their lives. And they've served as a great model for us in Brandywine Grace Church. And though we're happy for you guys to be where God has called you to be, we're sad that God has called you to a different place. But your example has left a mark on us. So a few words from Jason, and then we want to pray for you guys.